You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire, and it's Friday, which means that Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire is back with us. Matthew, how are you doing on this bye week? Hey, man, doing great, doing great. Uh, a little sad there's no Ravens football, but uh, we could all use the rest this week. Exactly. Ravens football can be a bit stressful to watch at times, although very exciting and electrifying. The Ravens are off this week before taking on the Patriots in week nine. And with the bye week, it gives us a moment to step back and reflect on how the Ravens have performed this season at five and two. A lot better than people expected for the Ravens, despite the easiness of their schedule. The national media was not sure how Lamar Jackson would fare in his second season. And it's safe to say he's doing a pretty great job so far. So today we're going to get into a Ravens award show talking about the MVPs, top rookies, most disappointing players, most improved players, and all of that jazz. So Matthew's here with us today to discuss who he thinks should win these awards for the Ravens. And Matthew, I have to start off. Who is the Ravens offensive MVP? There are a lot of names so far, names on the offense who have contributed, young guys, veterans alike. Who do you think wins this award so far? Well, I think it's the guy that is literally in the running for the MVP award in the NFL, and that's <laughs> Lamar Jackson. I mean, regardless of how you feel about him, especially if you're O.C. Uh, Umanora, you cannot deny how well he has done this season, how much he's grown. And really, I think you look at the, the Seattle game, Baltimore doesn't win if they win that game if they have Joe Flacco in the pocket getting harassed all game. Uh, Lamar Jackson being able to, to kind of bounce around and, and get out of the pocket and make big plays with his legs as well as with his arm, uh, I think has him uh, you know looking really, really good this season. And certainly, like I said, in, in the running for the NFL MVP, that makes him the offensive MVP for Baltimore. And he's a young guy himself, only in his second season, but he's doing all this with young guys around him. Mark Andrews is top target in his second season. Marquise Brown, the Ravens' top receiver at the moment, who has been hurt for a few games in his rookie year. Miles Boykin in his rookie year. The Ravens do have a few veterans, Marshall Yonda and Ronnie Stanley along that offensive line, as well as Willie Snead, a veteran receiver. But the players who he's doing it with, and plus just the improvements that he made in the offseason, I mean, I couldn't imagine it would be like this. I expected vast improvement from Lamar, but this is at a whole nother level. Him in the MVP conversation in his second year. I mean, you take a look back to the draft combine and the draft process, and he was having Chargers scouts tell him to play wide receiver. Imagine if that was the path that Lamar Jackson took if he gave in to the doubters. Lamar Jackson is as strong as I've ever seen, just based off the criticism he takes every day, and that alone makes him an MVP in my eyes. But let's flip over to the other side of the ball Talk about the defense. It has struggled a bit this year, but seems to have found its footing over the last few weeks. The Ravens acquiring Marcus Peters to bolster their secondary, and hopefully a pass rusher will be coming in the coming days. But Matthew, who do you think wins the defensive MVP for the season so far? I think we're probably going to have the same answer here, and that's Marlon Humphrey. And, uh, you know, he's had some not great plays. Uh, he, you know, he struggled a little bit in, in week uh, seven against Tyler Lockett, but you know, he's done exceptionally well all season long. And more importantly, he's come up with big plays when Baltimore's really needed them. Uh, obviously, the the fumble and, and the recovery against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, the, the recovery and return against the Seattle Seahawks. You know, Humphrey, out of all the guys on defense, is the one that is playing probably the most consistent football week in, week out, and has really allowed Baltimore's defensive coordinator, Don Martindale, to mix things up and to kind of count on him 
and not have to worry about what he's doing and just kind of focus in on everybody else, which, you know, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks has started to really kind of pay off as things are starting to kind of settle down for this defense. So, you know, Marlon Humphrey is, is a, what a top five cornerback in this league right now, uh, arguably top two. I, I, you know, that's another guy that if the NFL were really putting together a real MVP uh, award, Marlon Humphrey would also be in the running in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, you look at Ravens Twitter, and Marlon Humphrey is, outside of Lamar Jackson, probably the guy who's the most praised on there. And, you know, the phrase that I love seeing is Marlon Humphrey's a top-two cornerback in the NFL, and he's not number two. It's so funny (laughs) how Ravens Nation has gotten behind this guy. He's such a good guy on social media as well. And Ravens Twitter has proven to the fact that if a guy goes out and they go out and perform well, like Marlon Humphrey has done, they will back you 100%, just like to do with Lamar Jackson. But what makes me so surprised about Humphrey's development is that him coming out of Alabama, we knew he was a great prospect. He was a player that the Ravens drafted into a position that was already pretty full for the Ravens. They had a full cornerback room, and that's what the Ravens value, and we've seen that over the past couple years where their three-cornerback rotation between Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr, and Humphrey, they let those guys rest, and that's why Humphrey had been playing at such a high level because he's fresh in the fourth quarter. But then when Jimmy Smith goes down with an injury, That kind of tested the Ravens and their ability to put out depth at the cornerback position, especially because the players replacing them, Anthony Abert, didn't have strong plays when he was playing with the Ravens. Kennedy had a few good games, but then eventually fell off and now is hurt. So the Ravens had to get by with Brandon Carr and Marlon Humphrey and Maurice Kennedy and Anthony Averett, and that was forcing Marlon Humphrey and Brandon Carr to play a lot of different snaps. So I'm very pleased with how Humphrey responded to that. The quarterbacks weren't throwing the Humphrey side of the field a lot, if at all, really. And the players that he's locked up, Odell Beckham Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster, he's had a lot of good competition across the way from him, and he has proven that he can hang with the best of them. And now with Marcus Peters coming in, I mean, teams are afraid of Marcus Peters, too. Marcus Peters is a bit of a wild card because he can sometimes give up the big play because he has such good instincts on the ball, and sometimes he trusts them a bit too much. But as we saw in Seattle... Russell Wilson couldn't really get a lot going because there were two stud cornerbacks on either side of the field and he didn't really have anywhere to go. And so I want to next get into the most improved player because Humphrey's improved a lot, but I think there are a few more players who have improved just a tad more. You can put Lamar Jackson in the mix for this one, obviously, but Matthew, who do you think has been the most improved Ravens so far this season? That's a tough one. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of guys here that have really kind of stepped up in, in a big way. You know, I, I'll, I'll go with a guy that I don't think anyone else is really going to be talking too much about, and that's Matt Skura. Uh, he's had some difficulties this season. Uh, I've certainly been been one to point them out at times. Uh, but largely speaking, he's playing significantly better than he has been. I think some of the issues that we are seeing this year are a little bit more because Bradley Bozeman's next to him, and, and he's kind of Skura's having to do quite a lot with not – a ton around him, or at least on the left-hand side. Obviously, he's got Yonda on the other side. But that's a guy that no one's really counting into this mix of guys that have stepped up this year. Uh, and, and Baltimore has been able to do a lot of what they've been able to do on the ground, especially because Skur is doing a pretty solid job. Again, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a guy that you know Baltimore really seemed to be ready to kind of push out last year, this offseason, uh, certainly Ravens Twitter uh, would, would have fired the guy months ago. So the fact that he's still on the team, that he's doing well, I, I think that's that's a guy that's probably the most improved overall uh, when you count where he was last season and where he is right now that isn't a big name like a, 
you know, a, a Marlon Humphrey or, or a, a Lamar Jackson. Definitely. And I also was with you, Matthew. I wasn't a huge fan of Skura last year. And I thought that the Ravens would look to replace him in the draft through free agency. Eric McCoy was listed as an option for the Ravens, but he went in the second round to the New Orleans Saints. And the Ravens didn't have a second round pick because they were busy trading into the Eagles to draft the guy in the running for the MVP in Lamar Jackson. But what Skura has done this season has improved a lot of his technique. He looks a bit more fit. He looks a bit faster on the field. And that is really described what the offensive line in general has done that unit I was a little worried about especially with the left guard competition not developing through the preseason in the offseason the way that fans and the team would have liked Illuminor was handed that starting spot and then was promptly traded away after he did nothing with it and the line in general has been a huge surprise for me in a good way but Matthew who's been the most disappointing Raven for you who's been a surprise to you in the bad way the combination of probably Patrick Onwasu and uh, Kenny Young uh, had been probably the the biggest disappointments for me personally. Going into this offseason and going into this season, that's kind of one area I really focused in on and said, look, they do not have enough depth. Do not be shocked if they go ahead and sign someone that has experience that can at least sit in the back uh, of the meeting rooms and kind of help teach these guys. Obviously, Kenny Young's no longer on the team. Uh, he got benched for two games and then was part of that Peters trade, sending him over to Los Angeles. Baltimore has not typically done that throughout their franchise history, where a guy in his second, third year, they go, look, we're done. Get out of here. We're no longer doing this. Uh, and the fact that they did that with a guy like Young, a guy who was penciled in, inked in week one in order to go ahead and start, that's that's a huge shock for me personally. Uh, I, I think the same thing with with Peanut as well. That's a guy that was playing at a really high level last year, doing a lot of really positive things, but has seriously fallen off this year. And you can blame a little bit of injury. You can blame a little bit of not having C.J. Mosley, which, again, I know a lot of Ravens fans thought he was severely overrated, didn't deserve the money. But, you know, in the end, you're seeing that without a, an all-star like that in the center of your defense, the other guys around him are starting to really kind of falter, which is why Baltimore had to go sign two guys that, that were on their couch a few weeks ago. So uh, I think whenever you start talking about that, replacing starters with guys who weren't playing three weeks ago, I think that's probably your, your biggest running for the, the, the most disappointing player of, of the first half of the season. I'm definitely with you there, Matthew. You can even throw Chris Borden to that mix. The Ravens were expected to have a nice, young, three-rotation linebacker system where Young and Owasu would start, and then Chris Borden would be able to rotate in there, maybe on some passing downs, be able to stop the run. But Borden this season only has two total tackles. He hasn't really done a lot, hasn't played a lot of snaps. Young, as you mentioned, was shipped off to Los Angeles. And Peanut is now injured in the Pittsburgh game after Josh Bynes came in. He was moved to that will linebacker position. But the way that LJ Ford has been playing and the way that Josh Bynes has been playing, the Ravens now have their three-down rotation linebacker system with the three guys they have in Fort, Bynes, and Owasso. But now the question becomes... Did Owasso lose his starting position, and is he going to be the guy who rotates in? Did he go from playing at that super high level? You look at the Chargers game last year where he went absolutely nuclear, and now has he finally fallen from that grace? Because he had a lot of high hopes coming into the season, so hopefully he can regain some of that form and give the Ravens a deadly three-down combo with the three guys they have. We are going to go to break, but when we come back, we are going to be talking about the rest of the Ravens awards, getting into the best offseason acquisition, best in-season roster move, and a lot more, so stay tuned. But before we do that, 
MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.a-g today. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. Welcome back to Locked on Ravens, this Locked on Ravens bi-week award show. Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire is still with us right now. And Matthew, diving right back into it, the Ravens had a pretty good draft in Eric DaCosta's first draft as the Ravens general manager, snagging Marquise Brown and the wide receiver out of Oklahoma in the first, and then snagging Jalen Ferguson in the third round, who most considered to be a second-round prospect. Out of the Ravens' entire draft class, who has been your top rookie this year? Brown. You know, even though he's missed the last two games, this is a guy that was, you know, previous to that injury, was, you know, among the leading wide receivers on this team in targets, receptions, and yards. Uh, that certainly is is something that I don't think you can sneeze at for a guy that, you know, everyone was really questioning the fourth preseason game. Is, is this guy going to even play? in this regular season, or is he going to be held out for a couple of weeks? Uh, so the fact that he was able to go ahead and do that, and even again, missing two games, he's second in receptions on this team. He is second in targets on this team and second in yards on this team uh, and tied for first in uh, receiving touchdowns. This guy's missed two games. So uh, that says something, I, I think, about uh, you know how he's done and, and, and how well uh, Baltimore has been able to get him involved into the game. And certainly I think, again, when you also look at Baltimore's history with wide receivers, the fact that they have not done a, a great job of drafting guys, that really adds a lot of, uh, you know, a little icing to the cake, I should say, when it comes to Brown's performance early in this season. He still has a, lo- a long way to go. He still has a bunch of things that he still needs to improve upon. Uh, getting healthy is, is probably item number one, but uh, so far out of all the rookies, Marquise Brown is the guy that has been killing it so far this season. You know, going out of the draft and looking back at who the Ravens picked for me, I was a big A.J. Brown fan. I was a big D.K. Metcalf fan. I didn't really know a ton about Marquise Brown. I'd watched his highlights, saw his frontline speed. But I didn't know if he was the right receiver out of those three to take the reins as a wide receiver, one for this offense at the moment. But as the offseason went on, as the preseason went on, I knew that this was the guy because of his ability to stretch the field. Not only that, but he has great hands. We've seen it. We saw that great leaping catch he made against Arizona to cement the game where he was able to drag his feet in bounds. He's able to go up, make contested catches, and get knocked pretty hard. We saw that with the touchdown catch in Pittsburgh with Joe Hayden, where Joe Hayden rocked him. He's been a guy who has impressed me in multiple ways, especially because he's only 5'9", 170. That was the biggest knock on Marquise coming out of the draft because his small, slight frame is more injury-prone than other bigger wide receivers. But look, football is a violent game. Anybody can get injured at any point. We've gone over this conversation many, many times with Lamar Jackson. Even though Lamar Jackson is a runner, these pocket passer quarterbacks, Matt Ryan gets an ankle injury. Patrick Mahomes injures his knee on a quarterback sneak. It can happen to anybody, and if you're going to knock a guy for his size, at least look at his production. And Marquise Brown's production in college was out of this world. This season, he's averaging 15.5 yards per reception. That's the definition of stretching the field. He's been an immense upgrade for the Ravens in terms of wide receiver when he's been on the field, and he's just been an asset for the team because it doesn't come with just the receptions he makes. It comes with literally just his presence on the field. The Teams have to take that safety out of the box and respect the speed of Hollywood. So I agree with you, Matthew. I think that Marquise Brown has definitely been the top rookie here. But let's look away from the draft. Let's look at the offseason as a whole. The best offseason roster move for the Ravens, what would you classify that as so far? 
I think personally, uh, I think it's the the Mark Ingram signing, and and the reason why I say that is not only is he performing at a very high level, you know, again when we when we start looking at this, uh, ninety nine attempts, four hundred and seventy yards, seven rushing touchdowns, that is monster production. But I think you also have to look at his contract, and for a team that was reportedly in the mix for Le'Veon Bell, we saw how much Le'Veon Bell got paid this offseason. Mark Ingram was a fraction of that cost, and I'll be honest with you, uh, 470 yards and seven touchdowns, that is a huge bang for the buck for Baltimore, and that's kind of exactly what they needed with this style of offense. You've got Lamar Jackson able to hit the edges, even Gus Edwards and Justice Hill to a certain degree able to go ahead and do that. But you need a guy inside that, and as we've seen it all season long with Ingram, that can go ahead and get to that second level, and good luck if you're a safety trying to come up and make a tackle. Good luck if you're a cornerback trying to come up and make a tackle. For that matter, if you're a linebacker, it's about 50-50 on whether or not he's going to truck you and carry you five yards. So that's exactly the signing that Baltimore needed, and clearly it's paying off dividends in his production so far this season. Uh, Mark Ingram by far is it, but... Certainly there's a case to be made for Earl Thomas, you know, Marcus Peters, midseason trade, Josh Bynes again, midseason, and, and LJ Fort midseason as well. So uh, a ton of guys there to go ahead and choose from. But Mark Ingram, I think that uh, contract just makes him a, a little bit uh, above everybody else. We're agreeing on a lot here, Matthew. I agree here with the Mark Ingram move <laughs> as being the top move for the Ravens in the offseason. I mean, let's take a look at Le'Veon Bell's contract. Four years, $52.5 million. That averages out to around $13.1 million per year. The Ravens got Mark Ingram for a year less than that and a lot less money. Three years, $15 million. Now, let's take a step back and look at the stats. Le'Veon Bell, 100 attempts for 326 yards and one single touchdown. That's 3.3 yards per carry. Now, let's look at Mark Ingram. On one less carry, 99 carries for Mark Ingram, 470 yards and seven touchdowns that averages out to 4.7 yards per carry not to mention ingram's a fun-loving guy in the locker room everybody loves him he fits the ravens culture you mentioned he's that power back can fight for extra yards along the mold of gus edwards and the ravens have two power backs and then justice hill who can also churn those legs it's just ravens football ingram is the guy who fits the system i believe that eric DaCosta figured that out and by just looking at ingram's tape you can look at the tape Le'Veon bell's an exceptional running back don't get me wrong but the way that Mark Ingram runs, the way that he churns those legs, that is why the Ravens brought him in. And that's why I still believe that Mark Ingram is the best signing, not only for the value that he's provided on the field, but off of it as well. And Matthew, you talked about those in-season roster moves. Which one of those would you classify as being the best one for the Ravens so far in season? Uh, I think Josh Bynes by a long shot. I mean, the guy came in and a few days later started a game and proceeded to go ahead and pick off a pass, uh, which is something that Baltimore's defense had not really done a whole lot prior to that. So he came in and solidified a position that was arguably one of the weakest on this team and then started to produce in a huge way. And as we start seeing you know, over the last few games, and we're going to probably see over the rest of the season, this is a guy that now he's starting to kind of get up to speed. He's getting the playbook ingested a little bit. He's getting back into that game shape uh, that, that players really, you know, it takes a few weeks for them to do. As he starts doing that, he's steadily improving. He's steadily getting better. Uh, he's a pass rush presence as well. He's a guy that's able to go ahead and drop back into coverage, as we saw again with that interception. And he's a good run stuffer. For a guy that 
was sitting on his couch a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, Arizona, I, I get why they let him go, but really seems like Baltimore got the best end of that deal because he's he's getting paid next to nothing, and he's one of the highest rated players according to PFF on Baltimore's defense. Yeah, I'm with you there, but for my move, I'm not going to be a guy who talks about an acquisition. I'm going to be a guy who talks about a departure, and I'm going to talk about the best in-season move for the Ravens being cutting Tim Williams and trading Kenny Young, not for the reasons that they're bad players, but for the reasons of Eric DaCosta sending a message to the Ravens. He did that early in the preseason when Jermaine Illuminor didn't handle that starting job effectively, didn't do a lot with it. He shipped him off, proving to the Ravens team that, look, we want you here, but if you're not going to produce and help the team in the way that we need you to, it's hasta la vista. You're not going to be here anymore. So with Tim Williams, he only had two total tackles in a season where I had such high hopes for him. I was such a big fan coming out of Alabama. He's only 25 years old, and he's about to turn 26 in November. Was picked in the third round right after Tyus Bowser, but just couldn't do a lot with the playing time that he was getting. And by the end of it, he was barely playing any snaps. It's the same thing with Kenny Young. Kenny Young's a guy who was beloved among his Ravens teammates, Ravens coaches, but got into that John Harbaugh doghouse for not producing at a high level. I still think that these two players have immense potential when it comes to their football careers, and maybe they're going to revive it. And I honestly hope they do because they're both great kids, great players, and they have the skill set to become those guys. But when you look at their production for the Ravens, it just wasn't there. The Ravens need players who can produce now. While I hoped the team would stick with them for a bit longer to see if they could put it all together, the timing was right to move on, bring in some veterans like Josh Bynes, who you just mentioned, and hopefully a veteran pass rusher will be coming in the coming days. But I hope and pray that these guys will put it together. But for me, the best offseason move was addition by subtraction. We're going to take another break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about the rest of the Ravens' schedule, talking about what the biggest game is, who the Ravens could surprisingly beat, and who they might lose to as well as our final Record predictions, so stay tuned and we will be right back. But before we do that, the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to lasting longer. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. Also, we talked about it once, so let's do it again. As a true football fan, you already know just as sure as the seasons change. Lamar Jackson will keep the Ravens in the game. Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? We're almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get into the game with my bookie. Best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right, if you put $1,000 in, they'll give you $1,000. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.a-g today. You play, you win, and you get paid. Welcome back to our final segment of this Lockdown Ravens episode. Kevin Ostreicher here with Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire. And we just got into our award show. And now that we've concluded that, let's get into a schedule breakdown. The Ravens will now have three primetime games from week nine on after having none in the first seven weeks that they have played so far, starting with the Patriots in week nine on Sunday night football. And you look at the schedule, Matthew, there are a lot of daunting teams left to play. The Patriots being one, the Sean Watson and the Texans, Jared Goff and those Rams, those undefeated 49ers, the Buffalo Bills who have been a surprise. And then you can never overlook the Cleveland Browns, all that talent that they have, along with some sprinkles in between with the Bengals in week 10, the Jets in week 15 and the Steelers to wrap it up at home in week 17. 
Matthew, you look at the schedule. Who do you think is the most important team to beat on the schedule? I think it's all those AFC North games. I mean, we, we could sit there and talk about New England being a, a huge win, and, and that would boost them up in, in the public eye. But realistically, it doesn't really matter. Not when it comes to playoff seeding. Uh, right now, New England is, is on a roll, and they seem pretty much destined to go ahead and hold that number one seed in the AFC. Uh, you could do the same thing with Houston. You could do the same thing with Los Angeles and San Francisco, uh, maybe even Buffalo. But the reality is if Baltimore goes ahead and wins their AFC North, they're in the playoffs. So all they have to do is beat the Cincinnati Bengals, beat the Browns, and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they are pretty much guaranteed to walk themselves into the postseason. I'm right with you there, and I think if I had to hone in on a single game that would be the most important I'd have to say that Cleveland game, the Ravens are 0-1 against the Browns so far this season. If they go down 0-2, they lose all of that tiebreaker momentum. It also gives them another loss in the AFC North column, as you mentioned, and those are all ever important as we get into the later weeks in the season. The Ravens going to Cleveland in Week 16 after losing at home. And I think this game is extremely important because if the Ravens and the Browns somehow end up with the same record, and the Ravens lost to the Browns twice, that automatically gives the Browns the leg up on the Ravens no matter what else happens. If the Ravens at least beat the Browns once, it then gets into all those funky tiebreaker scenarios. It starts with the division record and goes down from there. So I hope that the Ravens can pull out that game. You're right, you can talk about New England, talk about the Rams, all those teams, but when it comes down to it, the Ravens will have to beat Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns in order to really secure their spot in the postseason if the Ravens start to drop a few games against those really good teams. But speaking of good teams, Matthew, the Ravens sometimes are destined to play up to those great opponents. Out of all these games, who do you think the Ravens could beat and be a very surprising win for the Ravens? I think New England is a team that uh, they have historically played very well against. New England, while they have a really outstanding defense right now, uh, are not exactly known for playing the most physical brand of football in the world. Uh, and that's a team that, again, when you look historically over what Baltimore's been able to do, Baltimore's been able to go into their stadium and punch them in the mouth. This being in Baltimore is going to make it even harder for them. Baltimore has a week to prepare for them, gets to go ahead and see them go against uh, the, the Cleveland Browns, so they get a little bit of a, a kind of taste test of maybe what that uh, tough run game can do against New England. I, I think that's the team that, uh, again, certainly, as, as I mentioned before, if they win that game, they they automatically jump up to number one on pretty much every uh, power rankings list. And uh, I think it's it's a game that they can do well in, but they just they have to not shoot themselves in the foot, as we've seen every game this season. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think New England is the biggest game that the Ravens can win and, and have it be that convincing, surprising win that the Ravens are looking for. And I mean, if the Ravens beat the Patriots, the media would go absolutely nuts. But I think would still find a way to ask if Lamar Jackson was a running back. But anyway, <laughs> I believe that if the Ravens can get a win under their belt against New England, obviously it's at home. Uh, it's a whole different animal playing in Gillette. And if the Ravens end up getting that number two seed, number three seed, and have to travel to Gillette, we can talk about that in January, but the Ravens at home with Ravens Nation behind them, I think that's a very winnable game for the Ravens. Obviously, you can't overlook what New England does on both sides of the ball, especially with that defense, but you're right. The physicality sometimes isn't there for New England. If the Ravens come out with that fire, I believe the Ravens could definitely pull it off, but the Ravens also sometimes have a tendency to play down to their opponents. There are a few teams on here that it looks like a very easy win, but in reality, football is a week-to-week -week league and anything can happen. Matthew, who would be the most surprising loss for you on the schedule for the Ravens? 
That's a tough one because I think you know New York Jets is probably the easy answer there. Uh, you have a bunch of guys that have ties to Baltimore, uh, so emotions could be high. But I think the most surprising loss would be to Cleveland. Uh, I think Baltimore in in almost every category is the better team realistically, but man, Cleveland's just kind of had their number as of late, giving them a little bit more trouble than they should be giving them. And as you mentioned, Baltimore loves playing down to their competition. As we saw uh, in week four, when they got beat by them 40 to 25, that would, for me, that would be the most disappointing uh, and probably the most surprising losses. If they go ahead and drop that week 16 game to the Browns with pretty much everything on the line. That's an all-ever important game for the Ravens. I'm actually going to go with the game that's right after that and say the Steelers at home in Week 17. Even with Ben Roethlisberger out and Mason Rudolph likely back for that game, I believe that the Steelers could put up a bit of a fight there, especially if the Ravens are playing for their playoff lives and the Steelers might not have anything to play for at that point. But we saw with the Browns last year, the Bengals two years ago, these teams want to end playoff dreams no matter what their record is. And if the Ravens are kind of lollygagging into the playoffs but still have to fight for their lives and I don't expect the Ravens to lollygag into anything don't get me wrong but if that's the case the Steelers with that vaunted defense and while they haven't been up to par this year with the standard that that Pittsburgh defense has been it really hasn't been vaunted for a few years now but Minka Fitzpatrick coming in TJ Watt being an animal off the edge Cam Hayward Steven Nelson looking great Joe Hayden all these guys the Ravens could be in a bit of trouble there when it comes to the Steelers, but hopefully we won't be talking about the Ravens fighting for a playoff spot. They will hopefully already be in the playoffs at that point. And let's talk about that, Matthew. What are your final record predictions for this team? What do you think the Ravens finish in terms of record this year? I think it's pretty much the same that as I've kind of predicted all season long, which is that 10-6 and six record. Uh, you know, just looking over the schedule real quick, I had actually gotten them to 11-5, and five, but I, I think, you know, th- this is a team that uh, outside of this Seattle Seahawks game has pretty much been exactly kind of what you expected them to be in terms of who they've won and who they've lost against. I, I don't think that's really going to much change the rest of the season. Again, they could shock me. They could go ahead and turn into a really special team down the stretch, and I'd be all for it. But given what we've seen so far, the games that they should win, they're probably going to win. The games that they're going to lose, they're probably going to lose. And that's going to put them at, at uh, you know, 10 and 6, which is enough to go ahead and easily get into the playoffs in the AFC this year. Yeah, I'm going to actually say that 11 and 5 record. I thought that the Ravens would lose in Seattle. And with that win, I'm actually bumping my prediction up because I believe that the Ravens won't lose any of the games that I expect them to win. And I don't expect them to win any of the games that I expect them to lose while i do think the ravens will put up a fight in new england i do expect the ravens to fall there and the rams will be a tough opponent for me but i think the ravens will come out of this tough seven game stretch all right they're already one and oh and i've been saying for a while now if the ravens come out of the seven game stretch four and three they will be in very good position to win the afc north with the jets browns and steelers on tap in their final three games so i'm going to say they come out five and two and then be in wonderful position to take the AFC North and take one of the top two or three seeds in the AFC. So that's where I'm standing right now with the Ravens. But Matthew, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much again for coming on the show and providing your insight and being my co-host. Hey, thanks for having me. It is always, again, nice talking about Ravens football and, and taking a good look back over the first half of the season and kind of how well Baltimore's done. I, I think may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone can go ahead and pull up the clip where I say something differently. But 5-2 and two at, at their bye, I think, is uh, far 
better than we expected Baltimore to be right now. So uh, no worries and, and no complaints on my end at all. None on my end as well. Lamar Jackson is playing like an MVP. The defense looks to be getting their feet back under them. I have been very, very pleasantly surprised with the way this team has performed this year. We'll be taking a break for the next two days, but coming back on Monday, we'll be getting right into the Ravens Week 9 matchup with the Patriots. So stay tuned, and I will see you on Monday.